and all those who are gathered with us via live stream. It is indeed a great joy and privilege to be with here, you here this morning. I enjoyed being here a couple of years ago as y'all hosted the conference with Don Whitney on the spiritual disciplines. That was a wonderful time of edification, and it was at that uh, conference that I got to meet Jeff for the first time, and certainly we are excited for him and Alyssa as they anticipate the arrival of their son any moment now. So be in prayer for them. It's also been nice to uh, see some of you again uh, that I've seen at the Biblical Counseling and Discipleship Conference in Granbury uh, this year to be hosted in Fort Worth. And we do look forward, as Jeff just mentioned, the opportunity to serve more together. In fact, it is in God's sovereignty um, that we have this opportunity uh, this morning uh, to have a deeper, uh, further relationship in the weeks and months uh, to come uh, as you guys are bringing on staff Dalen Pearson. As Jeff mentioned, Dalen has uh, been a counseling intern and served in various ways at Grace Community Church over the past few years. A great asset in our biblical counseling ministry and, and training others in biblical counseling and uh, in preaching more recently and in teaching. In fact, just a few weeks ago, uh, Dalen taught some of the best teaching I've heard uh, to our youth on the topics of anger anxiety, and despair. And so as, as Dalen began to talk to me about the time frame in which to transition here to Rocky Point, uh, he mentioned July 13th. And I told him, absolutely, that would be great. Are you referring to 2021 or 2022? Uh, but we are very excited uh, for you and his coming on staff here at this church and for Dalen and Katie as they become a part of this local church. Would you join me again in prayer as we open up the Word of God? Our Father, it is a great joy and delight to be able to gather here this morning, to be able to gather online, to be able to, to hear your Word proclaimed, to be able to sing your praises. And Father, we pray now in this time, as your Word is opened, that by your Spirit we would be granted understanding. And Father, that our lives would be a little bit more like Christ as a result of this time, that our affections would again be stirred up to him and that our footsteps would be in his as a result of this gathering this morning. And we ask all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, if you would, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking primarily at verses 28 and 29. And from what I have gathered, this text is, in essence, the heartbeat of Rocky Point. Uh, certainly, it is the heartbeat for, for Dalen and those also at, at Grace Community Church. Paul writes in Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29, Him, Him being Christ, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present Everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The first thing that I'd like for us to consider from this text this morning is the proclamation that Paul is making. It is his passion, it is his life, it is his joy, and that proclamation is Christ. 
For the context here, Paul is contrasting this message of Christ against the, the works-based, spiritually distorted spirituality that was seeking to undermine the sufficiency of Christ there at the church at Colossae. Paul had but one proclamation in contrast to this, and it is Christ. Likewise, in refuting the distorted spirituality in Corinth, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Also in Philippians, Paul there says, To live is Christ. And so for Paul, Christ was indeed His all in all, in all of life. And he also knew that the greatest need for every human soul, mine and yours, all those watching, all those up on this planet, the greatest human need of every soul is Christ. That Christ would be all in all, that we would know and grow in him. And therefore, Paul starts, starts out this letter to the Colossians by putting forth the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. Christ is to be the sum and the substance of the Christian life. And Christ is certainly worthy to be front and center in the entirety of our lives. And so who is this Christ that Paul would proclaim him? Well, as Scott just prayed through the verses in Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 22, Paul puts forth the picture that we have in Scripture, part of the picture we have in Scripture of who Christ is. And so let me read those verses to us again. Colossians 1, verses 15 to 22, Paul writes, He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth. Or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so, 19 times in these eight verses, Paul proclaims the excellencies of Christ, the one who has come as the Son of God to reconcile us to himself through his shed blood upon the cross. Christ has come. He has come to give us life, and he has come to give us life abundant. Now, I'm guessing that if you were to go this very afternoon to the square in downtown Stephenville. And if you were to take a survey and you were to ask those people there on the square, what is it that would make you truly happy? 
What is it that would make you truly content? What is it that would make you truly satisfied? What might you hear? I'm guessing that some would say I would be truly satisfied if I, if I had a better job, if I had more finances. Some might think that they would be better fulfilled if they had better health or perhaps better circumstances. No more COVID-19, then I would be happy. Perhaps some might say they'd be happy if they had better relationships. Some parents might say they'd be more fulfilled if they had self-parenting children. Some who are married might say they'd be more happy if their spouse would cater to their every felt need, their every desire, without even being asked. And yet, if that were their answer, in fact, if to some degree these might be our answers, then we need to remember what it is that ultimately can make us happy in all things at all times. And that is Jesus Christ alone. He is our joy. He is our contentment. He is our satisfaction. In him, there is ultimate fulfillment. And yet, if we lose sight of this, if some were tempted to be distracted in their understanding of Christ and his sufficient work, as Paul writes this letter, we become, in essence, like a car whose uh, oil in the engine becomes dirty. And if left unchecked in the course of time, it can become sluggish and perhaps even break down on the side of the road. Spiritually speaking, if we lose sight of Christ and who he is and who we are in him, then we spiritually can become sluggish and we can find ourselves discontent. We can find ourselves despairing in life. And so what is the remedy needed when this happens? What is the remedy for all of life? Paul has but one proclamation. It is Christ. And this leads us then to a second consideration in this text. How do we get our eyes back upon Christ? Well, according to Colossians 1.28, it is through the process of warning and teaching. Look again at Colossians 1.28. Paul there writes, Him, Christ, we proclaim, how? Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And so Paul's process in proclaiming Christ to some degree involved warning or cautioning others. Now, is this just something that the apostles did? Just something that Paul had to do? What we see in the scriptures, it is actually a calling given to all of us uh, as believers in Christ. Romans 15, 14 indicates that, that warning others as we need to is uh, a calling given to each one of us. And so why does God give you and I this responsibility to warn others? Well, perhaps let me answer that question by asking some other questions. Are we not all at times prone to stray? Have you ever been tempted towards self-destruction through bitterness in a relationship? Do we not all struggle with selfish tendencies that lead us to take our eyes off of Christ, putting our eyes therefore primarily upon creation rather than upon Christ as our creator. At such times as these, we all need to be warned. For as Maurice Roberts wrote, the believer is in spiritual danger if he allows himself to go for any length of time without tasting the love of Christ 
and savoring the felt comforts of a Savior's presence. When Christ ceases to fill the heart with satisfaction, our souls go in silent search of other lovers. There are times when we need to be warned and times where we need to warn others. Our relationships with others, our possessions, our appearance, our achievements, none of these things bring ultimate satisfaction, bring ultimate purpose in life. That is found only in Christ. And so here in Colossians, Paul is exalting the supremacy of Christ while warning them of this. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so Paul, who is a father figure, an apostle um, he, he warns God's people of those things that would be detrimental to those things to them, those things that would be contrary to the very faith in which they possess. In our own day, has not tolerance of sin largely displaced speaking the truth in love? Yet to love someone means that there will be times where we will need to open up the word of God with them and remind them, thus saith the Lord. Here is your creator. Here is what he has laid out for you. It is good. It is perfect. Let us get our lives back in line with his word. When my family went on vacation this last year to Tennessee, uh, we heard that there were some biking trails there. And so we took our bikes with us. And as we arrived and got checked in to where we were, I started asking the locals about uh, the biking trails. Which, which were the best biking trails? And most of them kind of scratched their heads and said, well, we, we know there's quite a few hiking trails in the area, but we're not really sure that any of those would be good for biking. Well, I had just traveled over 900 miles with a minivan with five bicycles on the back, in part for the purpose of biking. And so what do these locals really know after all? And so the next day, I go out with my family, we unhitch all of our bikes, and we start biking through the beautiful foothills of the Smoky Mountains, and, and it was a delightful time. Uh, the next day, I go out with my wife, and, and we try a new trail, and I'm flying down this trail, and we come around the ridge, and, and then right in front of me, all of a sudden, there's a whole bunch of these jagged rocks sticking up right in the trail. And so at the last second, I hit the brakes, but it was too late. My foot was too close to a boulder. I couldn't clip out of the pedal, and over I went. Well, the next morning, as I'm in emergency care, because my shin had been split open to the bone, and they're pull, pouring this real, I don't know what it was, but the stuff that stung really bad as they poured that into the wound, I was uh, wishing that I had heeded the warnings of those locals regarding not biking the hiking trails. So when it comes to God's word, are we not likewise tempted to turn a deaf ear to the scripture in order to pursue what we might want in the moment? Paul warned of this in Galatians 6, 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so, brothers and sisters, let me encourage all of us to take the warnings that God has given us in his word seriously. 
we cannot pretend that, that God, who sees all things, doesn't see us, you as an individual. And we must not forget that God disciplines those that he loves. And also, what about others? Do we love the wayward enough to again open the word of God to them and show them what God's will for them in Christ Jesus is and how to walk in that? And so Paul seeks not only to warn of false spirituality and waywardness, but also he proclaims Christ by teaching. And so again, Colossians 1.28, it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And so whereas warning is, is the negative side of this imparting truth, teaching is the, the positive component of impressing truth upon others. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. The same words used in Colossians 1.28, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And so get this. Every believer, to some degree or another, is called to teach. For the ladies, according to Titus 2, 3 through 4, older women are to teach what is good, that they may encourage the younger women. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, we see that fathers are to teach as they bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In the context of the church with your peers, whatever that context may be is appropriate. According to the scriptures, we have the opportunity to speak the truth of God into the lives of others. It is the calling for each and every one of us. That said, with what are we to warn and teach? It's, it's not with our preferences. It's not with our opinions. Paul said, proclaim Christ. And we proclaim Christ by proclaiming the word of Christ. We do so with all wisdom. And so this wisdom is referred to here in Colossians 1.28. And also is used in Colossians verse, chapter 1 verse 9, chapter 2 verse 3, uh, chapter 2 verse 23, chapter 3 verse 16, uh, chapter 4 verse 5. It refers to the content of the proclamation and the content being the word of God, according to Colossians 1, 25. And so Paul knew that it was through the word of God that the spirit of God points us to the son of God and brings our delight to be in him above all else. And so through warning and teaching with the word of God, Paul proclaimed the sufficiency of Christ and what it looks like to live out our union with him. Now before we move on, let me, let me put a couple of questions before you this morning. First, and, and this is so simple, but it's something we often need to be encouraged in. Is the word of Christ dwelling richly within you? Is it dwelling richly within you? And if you can't answer yes I'm enjoying God's word each day. Then let me encourage you. This is the starting point. This week, make it your resolve to open the word he's given to you and to study it and to prayerfully meditate upon it and to talk to one another about it. Another question as we consider this text. In what ways this week can you point others to Christ? Perhaps through your conversations and proclaiming Christ verbally, but also in your conduct and living out Christ-likeness 
among them. What opportunities has God given you, perhaps in your home, perhaps here in the context of the church, perhaps in your workplace, or if a student with fellow peers, what opportunities has God given you in which you can proclaim Christ? Next, as we continue in this passage, we see the audience that Paul was seeking to proclaim Christ to. The people that he was seeking to proclaim Christ to is everyone. Note the threefold emphasis related to Paul's audience. Him we proclaim, warning who? Everyone. And teaching who? Everyone. With all wisdom. That we may present who? Everyone. Mature in Christ. And so with Paul, it is to be our calling it is to be what we yearn for to see others not only know about our savior the lord jesus christ but also that they would know him personally that they would know him experientially that they would live out life abundant with him that they would be able to say that indeed according to colossians three eleven, christ is my all in all and so who is the everyone that needs Christ proclaimed to them. Well, as we consider the scripture, when it comes down to it, there's ultimately only two groups of people. There are believers and there are unbelievers. And so let me speak first to the believers this morning. I pray that you would hear the message that Paul has put forth to this church, to this community in Colossae. His message to them is that you cannot make yourself right with God. By what you do or by what you don't do. God's gift of salvation is a free gift. And it's given to us despite us, not because of us. As we consider who we once were, listen to these words that Paul gives in Colossians 2.13. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so again, salvation is a gift of God. It is given to him. It is Christ's work for us upon the cross. And so God will not accept those who bring to, to him Uh, Their resume of of self-righteousness. The righteousness that we must have is what is freely given to us through Christ. And we must repent of our own efforts and deeds to obtain favor with God. And to look to Christ alone who has perfect favor with God. And through him we can be reconciled unto our Heavenly Father. And so just as those who are perishing in their sins, must cry out to God for the forgiveness of their sins and must look to Christ for this free gift of salvation. We as believers, we still need Christ, do we not? We need Christ every day. We need to remember the gospel every day for ourselves. We need Christ for our ongoing sanctification, for our calling is to be like him. And so we have to daily look unto him. And so as we consider this, that brings us then to the purpose in which Paul is proclaiming Christ here in this passage. And so look at the purpose. The purpose ultimately being maturity. Colossians 1.28 says Christ is proclaimed. Why? That 
we may present everyone mature in Christ. Why do we proclaim Christ? So that brothers and sisters, together, we will all be mature in Christ. To that end, Sinclair Ferguson wrote in his book entitled Maturity. He wrote, Jesus Christ is both the author of our faith and the one who matures and perfects it. He died to bring us to maturity. He liveth to accomplish that goal. It is the reason why he gave us the ministry of his word, which, when exercised faithfully, nourishes all the other spiritual gifts in the church. If maturity was the great goal of the apostles' ministry, then it ought to be the goal in our own lives too, in the deep desire of our hearts. And so when we start off our Christian journey, uh, we do so to some degree like my son. When he was two years old, my parents gave him for his birthday this very large present, and he quickly was able to tear the wrapping paper off. And you could see on this, this big box, there's a little picture of a plastic lawnmower blowing bubbles. And he was absolutely enthralled and caught up with the box. It wasn't until we showed him how the mower worked that he graduated from the box to the mower. But once he got to the mower, there was no going back to the box. In fact, for the rest of our time there, two or three days, he was going about through the yard, mowing and blowing bubbles with a big grin on his face. And so what happened? He matured in his understanding. He came to understand the gift that was given to him and how it was to be used. Likewise, when we embrace the gift of the gospel, when we embrace the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he doesn't want us merely to be fascinated with the nice cover on our Bibles. He wants us to open those Bibles up and to know him for who he is, to know his beauty and his excellence, his glory, and to abide in him even as he abides in us. And so what does this maturity look like? Paul's ambition was to present everyone mature in Christ. But what does that look like? How do we know that we've arrived, so to speak? Well, as we consider maturity, really, again, you have to look no further than Christ. He is the one who was perfectly mature in every way. He never sinned. He was obedient to the Father's will in all things. God also has given us the Apostle Paul, who modeled what maturity looks like. In fact, even as he writes this letter to those at Colossae, as he often did in writing his letters, he would start off with a prayer for them. And even in his prayer for them, you get a, a picture of what it means to be mature. And so we're going to focus in on that prayer in the first part of Colossians uh, that demonstrates, in essence, some characteristics, five characteristics that we'll look at of what Paul prays for them in, in their pursuit of maturity and his desire to see them grow in maturity in Christ. And so a first characteristics of maturity is constant prayer. Constant prayer. Paul writes in Colossians 1.9, We have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you. Paul prays without ceasing 
as he seeks to present them mature in Christ. Likewise, Colossians 4.12 says of Epaphras that he was always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. He loved them so much that he continually went before the Father and prayed for them that they likewise might be mature in Christ. If you truly love someone, you'll pray for them. And in fact, the more you pray for them, the more you will then love them. And so, prayer. According to Colossians 4.2 and our relationships with others, we must likewise continue steadfastly in prayer for them. And so, are you struggling in your relationships with those in the home, with those perhaps even in the church, with those in the community? Well, if you're struggling in prayer, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a sign of maturity. Press on in praying for others. As we pray for others, we're reminded, are we not, of our own need for Christ? And also as we pray for others, as we pray the word of God for others, the will of God for others, does that not then lead us into conversations with them in which we talk to Christ with them, in which we proclaim Christ to them and seek to honor Christ alongside of them? And so we pray for others and we point them to Christ who alone is able to save, who alone is able to sanctify and who alone is able to satisfy their very souls. And so prayer is one mark of spiritual maturity. Another mark of spiritual maturity is comprehensive knowledge of God's word. Comprehensive knowledge of God's word. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul prays for them this, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Now it has been said that what we talk about the most reveals what most consumes us. What we talk about the most reveals what most consumes us. Is it not our calling to be consumed above all else of knowing Christ, of knowing him more fully? And then likewise talking to him about others, talking to others about him. We want others to be consumed with him that according to 2 Corinthians 5.15, they might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And therefore, as, as we seek to impress the word of God upon our own hearts, we also seek to impart a knowledge of who God is as revealed through his word to them that we might be able to present them as well mature in Christ. A third characteristic of maturity is not just having a knowledge of who Christ is, but also having Christ-like conduct. In other words, there should be no separation from knowing him as he's revealed himself through his word and then living for him. According to Colossians 1.10 and 3.17, the knowledge of Christ leads us to walk in a manner worthy of our Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Christ-like conduct. Did you hear these words, these comprehensive words? Fully pleasing. Whatever you do, do everything. 
And then Paul goes on to describe in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 6, that one who is mature in Christ longs to see Christ as all in all in all of life, from the home to the church through the community. And so our calling is to exemplify Christ-likeness before us so that as they see us, as they imitate us, they would also be looking to Christ and knowing more of him and also following in his footsteps. A fourth characteristic of maturity is continuous thanksgiving. Continuous thanksgiving. And so maturity, in part, um, is put forth through a gospel-compelled gratitude or thankfulness. Listen again to the prayer, Colossians 1, verses 12 through 14, where Paul writes, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so when rightly understood, the gospel displaces our grumbling And don't raise your hands if you tend to grumble. But the gospel, when we are focused on who Christ is and what we have in him, the gospel displaces our grumbling with with gratitude. We are overwhelmed with the goodness of God towards us. And then he has pardoned us of our sins. And not only that, he has granted us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He has given us everything that we need and so much more. And ultimately, he will give us glorification with him when he returns, when we shall see him as he is. And so the gospel then leads us to continuous thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 5 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is, your, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A fifth characteristic that we can see in this prayer, as Paul opens up this letter to those at Colossae, A characteristic of maturity, a fifth characteristic, is contemplating eternity. Contemplating eternity. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 and 27, Paul reminds them of the hope laid up for them in heaven. And of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so maturity involves living with an eternal perspective. Living with an eternal perspective. Paul writes in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Along those lines, listen to these words by Charles Spurgeon. He writes, Let the future sanctify the present to highest uses. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the hope of heaven is the most potent force for the production of virtue. It is a fountain of joyous effort. It is the cornerstone of cheerful holiness. The man who has this hope in Jesus goes about his work with vigor for the joy of the Lord is his strength. And so if you are in Christ, 
constant prayer, comprehensively knowing God's word, Christ-like conduct, continuously giving thanksgiving, and contemplating eternity are areas that you desire to have more fully characterize you. These are areas that you desire to see more fully in your loved ones, in your church. You want to see everyone presented mature in Christ. Now, all that said, there's a great tension, is there not? Is anyone thinking, this is intense. This is impossible. This is way too intimidating. Because not only do I struggle to seek to be mature in Christ myself, but who am I to present anyone, much less everyone else, mature in Christ? Well, that's a good place to be. That is a good question to have. And if that is you, as it is with me, that's a good acknowledgement. Because humility over our inability leads us to exactly where we need to be. To look again unto Christ. And that's the great paradox that Paul then puts forth here in this next verse. And so let's look at verse 29 where we see the power that we need and the calling that we've been given, the power that we need is divine. Having stated his ambition to proclaim Christ and present everyone mature in Christ, Paul says this in verse 29, with these words, um, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. And so these first words here, Paul says, I, I toil, I struggle. This is language of intentional, intense striving. It's, it's like the effort put forth by an Olympic athlete who is absolutely determined to win the gold medal. Paul is determined to see these people presented mature in Christ because Christ is worthy of that. And yet when it comes to the maturity of others... Paul toiled, he struggled, but he did not do so in his own strength. He did so through Christ who strengthens him. Paul knew that his own strength and his wisdom were limited at best, but he knew that God's strength and God's wisdom was divine. It was infinite. And he knew that the power of God was at work within him to fulfill that which God had called him to do. And so, this morning, if you are struggling perhaps with discouragement in, in, in your search, in your, in your quest to be more like your Savior, to be mature in Him, as well as to present others mature in Christ, whether perhaps it's somebody in your own household, whether it's uh, a small group study you're leading, whether it's somebody you're discipling, whether it's those in your workplace, your, your goal and desire is to present them mature in Christ, but it's difficult, it's hard, it's not quite going the way that you anticipated, it's not going according to, to your plan. Then let me encourage you to press on, because with the calling that the Lord has given us to present one another mature in Christ, with that calling, he also presents all that we need for his service. And so for the sake of ourselves and for the sake of others, let us continue to proclaim Christ as our all in all. Let me conclude with these words by Charles Spurgeon in light of our own need for Christ. 
and also, uh, again, a reminder of the need to proclaim him. Spurgeon wrote, If you have left out Christ, there is no manna from heaven, no water from the rock, no refuge from the storm, no healing for the sick, no life for the dead. If you leave out Christ, you have left out the sun of the day and the moon out of the night. You have left the waters out of the sea and the floods out of the river. You have left the harvest out of the year and the soul out of the body. You have left joy out of heaven. Yea, and you have robbed all of its all. There is no gospel we're thinking of, much less proclaiming in Jehovah's name if Jesus be forgotten. We must have Jesus then as Alpha and Omega in all. To that end, let me pray for us. Our great Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of Christ. That while we were yet sinners, you demonstrated your great love towards us. And that you sent your son, the one who would justify us. The one who would pay the sin debt upon the cross. The one who would lay down his own life that he might raise us up to new life in him. Oh, Father, we pray that in all aspects of life, that Christ would indeed be all in all. And Father, for myself, I confess that that is certainly not always the case. There are times that I would rather be noticed than have Christ proclaimed. Father, even in the context of the church, Father, sometimes we have the tendency to make other things more important. Forgive us when we have sought to rob Christ of the glory that he alone is worthy of. Father, we ask that by your word, by your spirit, you will continue to show us more of Christ and the life that you desire for us in him. Father, I pray for this local congregation. Father, I pray that Christ would continue to be exalted. I pray that they would continue to proclaim Christ to this community, to all the students who come through here, that that they would leave having heard the gospel Father, as they seek to reach out to this community, to the world, and even to one another. Father, that their ambition indeed would be to present each other mature in Christ. We thank you that you are with us in this, that you are for us in this, that you have begun the good work and you will bring it to completion. And yet in that good work, you call us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling for your own good pleasure. And so, Father, with this great paradox in mind, We do seek to strive and toil. But Father, may it never be in our own strength. For we know that the one who builds apart from you builds in vain. And so Father, in all things and dependence upon you, we pray that you would further your kingdom. That you would increase our joy in your son. That we would be those who constantly come before you in prayer. Those who delight in your word, who meditate upon day and night. And talk about Christ with every opportunity that we have. Father, there is no greater treasure than the salvation you have given us. There is no greater treasure than Christ himself. Help us to treasure him in all of life. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.